Yeah, we've been pretty lucky with the neighbors here uh, that have wanted to uh, try something besides corn and beans. It's probably worth more on an open market, but they like how it's they, you know, they want to take care of the land too and having pasture and, and hay and grazing animals and even having a dairy farm. They like it. They like having the cattle out in pastures and seeing them and it's given me an opportunity with some good neighbors. Welcome to the 324th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming regenerative agriculture, community food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Driving through the Midwest in late fall can be a monochromatic experience. As the corn and soybean harvest is being taken in, it's clearer than ever that this culture of row crops doesn't leave much life on the land once it's hauled off. That's why the hilly acres Jeremy and Jessica Holtz produce milk on in southeastern Minnesota stands out so dramatically. Even in late October, the bright green of rotationally grazed pastures pops on a misty gray day. The Holtz like utilizing rotational grazing to produce milk with their 120 head cow herd. They feel the cows are healthier and that grazing provides a low-cost source of feed. It also creates a fun, pleasant environment for them and their two young children. And fortunately for the Holtz, the four landowners they rent acres from like to see cows out grazing the landscape as well. That's important given how competitive it can be to rent farm ground, particularly in corn and soybean country. During a recent LSP pasture walk, Jeremy led a tour of their grazing paddocks while a light rain fell and a chilly autumn wind blew. We walked by a significant stand of prairie, as well as a stand of evergreens that had been planted as a windbreak and habitat for wildlife. When we arrived at the deep green pasture land, it was clear it fit in nicely with the natural woody and prairie habitat of these hills. The whole say they notice plenty of grassland songbirds like meadowlarks and bobolinks in their grazing paddocks, and on this day, a flock of turkeys was making its way across the side hill. Despite the pleasant setting, Jeremy says the 2023 grazing season was a major challenge due to the harsh drought that hit the area. Although it was actually a wet pasture walk, the farmer says he had to take some extreme measures to rescue his grass during a record-breaking summer including removing the cows from most of his paddocks for several weeks. His strategy seems to have worked. By late October, the pastures are green and thriving, and the sorghum, sudan grass, and field peas he planted as another source of forage were doing well. It was clear that by building soil health via the rotational grazing of deep-rooted perennial grasses and forbs, the Hulse had set up these fields nicely to take advantage of the moisture when it did finally arrive. Jeremy says, in some ways, he's been prepping for such a mega drought since 2013, when dry weather caused him to run out of hay for his cows. After the field day, Jeremy and I took shelter from the wind in the stand of evergreens and talked about how key it's been for his dairy operation to have landlords who support seeing more continuous living cover on the land. He started our chat by describing how the spring and summer of 2023 was one of the hardest he's had yet as a farmer. So you had talked about earlier, this is one of the hardest years you've had as far as growing conditions. Can you talk a little bit, you had not only drought, but it looks like some pest problems, some other things. Can you talk a little bit about all, what all was going on uh, this year? We came out of winter, it was a slow spring, and we were always waiting for that alfalfa to green up, and it, a lot of places it didn't green up. So we, we had some winter kill, which was kind of depressing, and it was a wet, wetter spring, which was good at we found out it was beneficial but 
We had the drought in May and in June into July, got some rain. We had bug issues in June in the hay fields in the pastures with army worms. We had another drought in August and September. <laughs> <laughs> but I came through and it will be okay, you know. We bought a little bit of hay to make sure we got through. We tried some new crops and they they're gonna make feed. Yeah, it's uh and the milk prices were bad too. Yeah. <laughs> that was a on kicker. Top, on top of everything else. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, the prices stink. <laughs> yeah. Well, talk a little bit. You talked about some alternative crops and you showed us an example of that. And, and it looks like it's really uh, doing well. Talk a little bit about how you're, you're, you, that was kind of a new thing for you. Yeah, we planted uh, oats and peas into a hay field that wasn't producing very well in the middle of August. And then uh, actually in the middle of July, I planted some sorghum sedan into another hay field that was mostly grass and didn't grow because of the drought and uh took crop off of that and then we'll take another crop with the oats and peas and then the sedan here hopefully before november and it's it's feed it's good there's good feed there a lot more feed than what we got if i left it as as a grassy hay so cows will be happy is and that seems sudan and oats especially seem to be pretty uh resilient in the face of really dry conditions don't they yeah, Sudan more than the oats. The oats is a, I planted that later in the fall. It does better in the cooler season. And the Sudan we got you know we got one rain the night I planted it, and that actually showed a lot of drought stress too surprisingly, but it uh, it came through. And you took your cattle off the, the pastures for a bit too to kind of kind of rest those pastures and when it, things got really dire there. Yeah, we took them off three three of the four pastures, three of the four main pastures. We brought them home for four to six weeks because there was no regrowth and that was on all rotationally grazed pastures it was it was that dry where the grass would not come back so i gotta say we did a pasture walk and things look i don't know how recent it's been since you you got a rain sounds like maybe it's been a week or so you got a a decent two inch rain or something like that the pastures look really good i think that sounds like the rest maybe took care of it a little bit or i don't know but they really don't look as beat up as i thought they'd be we're talking here on october 19th we've had a pretty mild fall so far and we've had some a little bit of moisture but they came back a little bit they seem fairly resilient yeah the rest is huge guys you know we got an inch a week ago but actually kind of made things muddy surprising which is kind of nice yeah and we actually got close to four inches maybe three to four weeks ago. And that all soaked up nice. And and where where there was growth starting, it really took off. You know, the rest, the rest period of that grass really shows where you rested it and where, where it didn't get a rest. Yeah. In the hay fields too, or they look tremendous mm-hmm. going into fall, which is good, yeah. and into winter. So how long would, de- how many years have you been rotationally grazing these particular pastures that we toured today? I think we seeded them in like 07 or 09, so that's pushing, what, 15 or so years. Yeah. And uh, they, there's been dry years, but nothing like this year. Yeah. But they, they do look good going into winter, so there should be next year, you know, you never know. But hopefully next year they produce produce like a normal year. Well, I'm wondering a little bit if you said it's been maybe 15 years and you've been able to do that rotational grazing and build up that soil biome a little bit and the biology and, and the aggregate structure i wonder if that's really helped them get through a year like this where it's sometimes a pasture if it gets if it's not been treated well over the years this can really 
devastating and really sets it back. But I don't know, it seems like maybe your soil health really, you were able to kind of build that up uh, over the last years. And then when you do get some extreme situations like this, it can really help get it through. Yeah, you know, from the first couple of years when we, it came out of corn and beans to where we have been, it, uh, for sure, it's, it's improved. You know, there's always grass there. And uh, it's it's managed where we make some hay, but the cattle on there, you know, and the the nutrients. Yeah, we had a we had a dry year, and we pulled them off. But it was the best thing because you look around, and there's some really sick looking pastures this fall, and they shouldn't be if they would have managed them, you know, better. Yeah. Even in a drought, there's things you can do. So, have you? Is there anything you've learned? from this year you know they always <laughs> once you survive a an extreme year like this it, it's if you get a chance to sit down and kind of look back it's like well there's some lessons i learned or some things i might adapt a little bit or, or tweak a little bit going into into future years is there anything that kind of any take-home lessons you've had on that i guess for me back in 13 is when i was preparing for this year and that's 10 years ago because we had all of our hay died mm-hmm. and i never wanted to see us go through are the cows going to get fed? We got to buy a lot of expensive feed. So I've been stockpiling feed for t- for 10 years and yeah. it's, it's been nice. It, it, it came through in the clutch and you know, there's, there's times where you got to make a change and uh, you know, if, is it, is it ever going to rain again? I was thinking, yeah, it's probably going to rain again, but we better do something to make some feed. So we tried to try some different options and it, uh, they worked. That's a good point. You wonder if it's going to rain again, and it is always going to rain. But you got to be prepared for that. Like you, it sounds, it looks like your pastures were ready for it to rain, and were able to respond a little bit. Yeah, the pastures were ready when it finally did rain, and then some of them uh, other crops we planted. Once it finally did rain, they looks like they're really going to produce. With your typical grazing system, how how big are your paddocks, and how often are you rotating the cows? That type of thing. How do you have that set up? Uh, with the pasture we looked at today, there's springing heifers in there all summer and then some dry cows in the fall. It's about 20 acres, 10 different paddocks, and they're two to three days kind of graze. So it's about every every month rotation through. What I was struck by is, so you have an 80, about an 80 cow milking herd or so? 80 to 100, it's actually probably close to 120. Pasture land, we're probably pushing 100 acres between rented and owned. And cropland, I would say around 150 to 170 yeah. rented and owned cropland. You have quite a bit of rent. You How many landlords do you have? I think it's four landlords, yeah. Yeah. And you talked a little bit about one of the reasons that they like you renting this land is they kind of like the way you farm it a little bit. Isn't it a little bit? Yeah, they uh, they want to see some hay on there and, and the pasturing and animals, feed going to animals, not going to the going to town. Yeah, we've been pretty lucky with the neighbors here uh, that have wanted to uh, try something besides corn and beans. It's probably worth more on an open market, but they like how it, they, you know, they want to take care of the land too and having pasture and, and hay and grazing animals and even having a dairy farm. And, uh, you know, they like it. They like having the cattle out in pastures and seeing them, and it's given me an opportunity with some good neighbors. Well, and some cool wildlife habitat here, too. A little prairie, and uh, I saw some meadowlarks and bobolinks uh, flitting around, that kind of thing. Well, not bobolinks this time of year, but I saw the meadowlarks. Yeah, they're always here in, the, yeah. in June. Yeah, and you've June. got... That's yeah. about time I need to get the heifers out when the bobolinks Yeah, I guess that makes it pleasant for the cows, too, to see some of that. I don't know. I don't know. There's It's kind of a mindset how you want to live, you know? 
it's not the easiest thing in the world. It'd be easier just to corn bean farm and, and farm different, but I like the cows and and I like making hay. And and what what do you like about grazing? You know, it gives the cows a chance. There there is land we own that some people would crop farm that I don't think should be so it you're you can improve your your non farmable land by grazing. It gets the cows out. They're healthier. I mean yeah, there's times in the year where they want to be indoors, but I mean today it was it was sprinkling, it was sunny, but they love it outside and it's good for them. It's healthy. Was this always been a grazing operation or how long have you been grazing? No, we the cows used to go to pasture but nothing was rotational, you know, intensive. Coming out of high school and into college and it came back a little with a little more chance to do some more grazing and mm-hmm. and it's worked. I mean it's it is a lot more work setting up grazing and and that time wise, but it's it can be worth it. We're here at the edge of the, I guess what I would call the driftless area and it's really hilly really highly erodible so i would think that that really helps that you can kind of keep that continuous living cover that the perennial forage systems on the ground year round yeah and i think that's why some of the landlords like how i farm too hay is a big thing and when people see green out there and not brown and dirt it's good for the soil it's good for the farm part of the you said grazing that keeps the cows healthier and all that but it seems like you're kind of having it sounds like it's kind of fun for you. Maybe I know you studied dairy. You went to University of Wisconsin, studied dairy production there, and that kind of thing. But it sounds like, from what you've learned and what some other farmers you've worked with, this is kind of a fun way for you to do dairying. Yeah, it's kind of a challenge. You know, something different out of the norm, and I like I like doing things a little different, I guess. And it gives you something different every day. It's not monotonous, and it's I like the challenge of it. I mean, it can get old at times, but it's uh, it's worth it. You know, the kids lo- the kids love it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could tell. <laughs> oh yeah, they love going out and checking cattle and moving cattle in different pastures and uh, just being outside. For more information on building soil health profitably and developing rental arrangements that promote good stewardship on the land, see the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode 324 at landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you could call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on whatever podcast platform you utilize. And word of mouth is the best way to spread the news about our podcast. If you like what you hear, tell at least one person about LSP's Ear to the Ground. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.